we were uh, preparing for this um, fast, for this announcement. Uh, our prayer team was together. We were praying together, and just God put on every one of our hearts that, that he was wanting us as a church, as a whole body, to turn our hearts to him. And there were three things that stuck out to us in our prayer time. Was One was people would begin to be bold and, and confident in taking their next, next steps and their faith. Well, that be salvation. There are people in this room right now that need to turn their hearts and lives over to Jesus for salvation. We're praying that, that those people, we're praying for you. If that's you, we're praying for you, that you would be confident enough and, and be bold and courageous enough to step into a relationship with Jesus, surrendering all and walking in, in, into, a, into a faith relationship with him. Second thing we want to do is we want people to invest. Like there's people that come to this church every week or maybe once or twice a month. But our hearts for you as a church is for you to see you invest in the kingdom work that God's trying to do here in Pooler, Georgia, and Chatham County, and Effingham County, and the surrounding areas. We want to see you invest, and, and we want to see the, the investment that you, that you give to the kingdom just multiply and multiply what God wants to do in this area. Because I believe with all my heart that God is doing some incredible things in this church and in the lives of our community and, 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 and in this area. And I think he wants to do more. And the last thing is we found out last or two weeks ago that we don't, we're homeless after, after the end of this year. And we're, we're praying that God would give us a location where he wants us to be, strategically where he wants us at as a church, where we can reach the most people with the gospel and for the kingdom. So those three things are our, our focus as a church. This past week, I sent out 100 emails to our church. If you didn't get an email, that means you haven't filled out a card probably, or we're just, we just dropped the ball. But um, I, I, turned, I, I sent out 100 emails and what would it look like if all of us, and those hundred people that I sent emails up to, would pray directionally for those three things, would fast, would seek God in those areas, and we'd see radical things happen. And that's our heart behind this fast, to see God move. Is that cool? Awesome. Well, let's do this. Let's do that this week, this next week, next three weeks. And while I'm sure that we're going to watch God do some miracles, we're going to be able to turn around in three weeks and the rest of our life as a church and just praise God for all he's doing. Because if we can turn our hearts and our lives and submit to God now, what's it going to be like in 10 years, what we're doing? If we're committed to the Great Commission, we're committed to seeing disciples made, leaders raised up. Man, God is going to do amazing things. And what I know in this church and here this morning is that God is moving. God wants to move in hearts. And as I was listening to Jillian talk, I just realized that God, you know, and Chase said it earlier, is like just being able to accept and walk in and, and just to receive the love of God. And I, and I was in the back praying because I just felt led to pray for the, over the congregation. It's like one thing that kept coming to me is, is break chains, break walls, tear down walls, break chains. Those, those two things. And what I know is the enemy, he's deceitful. He's deceptive. He deceives people. And this morning, I just pray against that in Jesus' name that we would, see, we would hear the truth that we're going to read this morning in Philippians 3. If you want to turn there, Philippians 3. The truth that we're going to hear this morning, it's a heavy truth. And I was sharing with our prayer team this morning that it's, it's, it's kind of intimidating to share sometimes because like, I don't want the congregation, you guys, the body, to hear Michael sounds really rough right now. I mean, that's not what my goal is. My heart behind this is that we would hear the scripture, interpret it for exactly what it's saying, and apply it to our lives. Can we do that as a church? Is that Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to read scripture and then, then do what it says as, as, as believers, as followers of Christ. And, and that's what I want us to do as a church. And so and what I learned this week as I was reading is that the theme of Philippians and probably in the entire New Testament is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? 
the whole, the, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a follower, what it means to follow. And I want us to dive in and I want us to look at what that application looks like today. And what I believe about Philippians 3 is I believe it summarizes what God has been trying to teach me personally over the past few months. And I'm really excited to be able to walk through that with you today. And so, um, you know, as, as we walk through this, if you've ever had a question, you know, am I following Jesus? What does that even look like? Is that something that, that I'm struggling with? Or what I need to know the application steps. You know, this is a good sermon, a good message from Philippians 3 to apply to your life. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you right now, a preface, that this is gonna sound too simple and too easy. Okay, because as Americans, we like to, there's gotta be more. I gotta do this and this and this to get to this. There's gotta be more that I have to do to, to see Jesus. But it's really simple, okay? And this morning, I just wanna preface that, you know, and I think I could summarize what the Lord has been teaching me and revealing to me over and over and over and over again in scripture as I read. And this might be true for you, but guys, whenever I live my final day, I wanna be able to turn around and say, my life counted for something. Are we on the same page? I wanna, I wanna live a life that counts, that, that counted for, that, that, that mattered, that meant something to the kingdom of God. And you know, when I step back from the busyness of the world that I live in or the schedule that I keep, I, you know, all that stuff, I, I look at my life and it's easy to see how sometimes I don't, I don't wanna waste it, but I see the, the tendency of sometimes for me to waste time, waste energy, waste things in my life that don't mean anything just wasting things away. And you know, every day I wake up, I see my, my, my brand new newborn baby's faces, my wife's face, and I realize that I want my life to count for them. I, I, I come to this church every week and I look at your faces and I realize I want my life to count for you, for this church, for this community. I see the city I walk around in every week, the, the, the county, the, the area. I want my life to count for that. And then I look at the world. I look at the unreached people groups that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want my life to count for that. And that's what our heart is this morning as we're reading Philippians is I want my life to count for his glory. And I hope that's your heart too this morning as you're here, is that you're searching for something and you want your life to count and you want it to matter. You want it to count for the, the greater things of, of God that he has for you. And I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste this life that's been entrusted to me. And I'm guessing that that's true about you too. I'm guessing. I'm, I'm, I'm starting from a place this morning of, of that being true for you. That we don't want to waste our lives this morning. No one wants to waste their life, I don't think. Those that do, do it, don't do it on purpose. No one says, you know what? I'm gonna waste my life. I'm just gonna waste it away. Nobody's gonna do that on purpose. And so today I wanna unpack, I wanna unpack a simple truth that we see throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And it basically says that God wants to raise up men and women in this room, all across this nation, all across the world, in his, in his church, whose lives count for his glory. He wants to raise men and women up in the church whose lives count to see his glory made famous through all the world. That's what he wants. If you want to know what, 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 what's, what's the point of my life, that's it. To make him famous, to bring him glory, to point the, 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 the light back to him. That's the, that is the point of all of this. And God longs, he desires, he, it, it, I'm sure he just, it, it brings him to just, just to, ah, to raise you up for a great mighty purpose for the kingdom on the landscape of human history for all the world. 
He wants to raise us up to, to, to see him as, as king and, and, to, and to obey and to walk in obedience and submission to him. And your life was meant to echo further than the next week, than the next year, than the next two years. And so many times we're so short-sighted, like, what am I doing this week? What am I doing next year? We need to think long-term, eternity, eternal purposes. What is your life for? Eternal purposes. And that's what we have to see. And what I want you to see is what if. Listen, what if this church right here, Connection Church Pooler, was a lighthouse for the entire world? What if we were sending out missionaries to, to nations that were unreached? What if we were sending out people to our communities that nobody wanted to mess with, that people we write off? What if this place, we're sending out people, leaders, other pastors to plant churches, other things around this, around this area? What if some of those people that we were going to send are sitting in this room this morning but haven't thought that way yet, hadn't gotten their mind around that vision yet. That's what Scripture tells us in the, in the New Testament about the Great Commission, about sending people to the nations to, to, to declare the praises of Jesus Christ. And in the text today, we're going to read in a second, Philippians 3, 1 through 14. We're going to read about, we're going to see Paul stepping back and reevaluating his life. He's stepping back, it's going to show what it truly means to be a Christ follower. The truths that we're going to look at today, guys, we have to see, we have to understand and unfold in Scripture. I'm praying, I'm praying with all my heart this week that they would shake us to our core because they're deep and convicting truths that are made really simple by Paul. And they need to be looked at through the lenses of the gospel. And so this morning, before we read, I want to pray, and then we'll get into it. So God, we love you. I'm so thankful for all that you've done and all that you are doing, God, in this place. I thank you for the hearts, God, that you want to change, that you want to move, that you want to, to mold, to be um, men and women who bring you glory, who, who give you praise, Father, who live lives on purpose, with a purpose, God, and that count. God, I pray that you would uh, just let hearts surrender this morning as we, as we open up this scripture, as we open up this words of, of the Bible. I pray that you would just speak to hearts. God, break down walls, break chains, Father, and I pray that you would receive glory everything that's talked about here this morning. So we love you, and it's your name I pray. Amen. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 together, and then we'll get going here. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For as we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who, bo who boasts in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What, but whatever were gains to me, I now considered loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to particip participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained all this, or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind 
and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And what I want us to do is I want us to take Paul's example here in Philippians 3, and I want us to see his example, and I want us to look at the one characteristic of someone's life, Paul's life, that has counted for the glory of Christ throughout history. Do we, can we agree that Paul's life counted? Can we agree with that? It counted throughout history. He, he has had more influence on more people than I think anybody in the world besides Jesus. I, I may be overspeaking, but maybe. You know, think about that. Listen, he's counted for so much. And if we want our lives, and this is, this is the one point, you're like, yeah, right, Mike, you only have one point. I only have one point a day. <laughs> I do. Um, so if we want our lives to count for the glory of God, if we want our lives to count for his glory, this is the one point I want you to hear. We have to treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. Treasure Christ above everything this world has to offer. What does it mean to treasure something? Man, I, I love it. I would give everything away for that one thing. I treasure Christ above everything else in this world. And what Paul is doing in this first verse of this chapter is he's addressing a problem that, that, that rose up in the church because of a group of people called the Judaizers, which basically they're Jewish Christians. And we talked about these guys in Galatians a few weeks back. Um, and what they were doing is they were teaching the new Christians, the new Gentile Christians, that you, had, you, had, you could have Christ, but you had to, to add circumcision, and you had to add uh, obeying the, the Mosaic law. And, right, and we, talk, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Galatians. That's not right. Just in case, Jesus plus something is, is nothing, okay? Jesus plus, you know, you can't have anything but Jesus. To, that's what it's about. They were hindering the advancement of the gospel to the Gentile world, and they, they were hindering it. And Paul, was, Paul says, watch out for those dogs. And if you, don't, if you don't, haven't read much in your Bible, what's so funny is the Jews used to call the Gentiles dogs. And so Paul is kind of turning around on him. He's saying the mutilators of the flesh, you know, circumcision, all that stuff. Uh, you can look up that yourself. Um, verse four, look at verse four. What he's telling me is like, you know, though I, I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And you're like, Paul, are you being arrogant right now? What's happening? It's, it's, it's hard to get this in the English too, is that, is, but in the original text in the Greek, this would be more like a hardcore Greek, Greek trash talk. I mean, he was like, if any other man in the entire world, any man, anywhere else, anybody, thinks they have more reason to put, um, put confidence in their flesh and things they've done, bring them on. I challenge them right now because I promise you I've beat them. That's some confidence, right? If he's saying that, that's, that's big. I mean, if anybody, and what he does is he goes in and he lists seven things that can be split up into two categories. He lists seven things we see in Scripture, and they can be, they can be split up into two things. Things that he had received from birth, just from being who he was, and things that he had achieved, things that he had worked for, he had accomplished. And you look in, the, in your Scripture and you can see it. It says, he was circumcised on the eighth day. That means he was Jewish. From the people of Israel, that's number two. People of Israel, that's the chosen race of God from the tribe of Benjamin. Tribe of Benjamin is one of the most prestigious, is, is the most prestigious tribe in Israel. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, he, was a, he was perfect in the law. He was zealous in persecuting the church. And his righteousness was this. It says faultless. Is that prideful or what? Like, I was faultless. It's not prideful. It's, it's, it's honest. He, he listened to the law, followed the law faultlessly. And then it comes to verse seven and it says, whatever were gains, 
Whatever regains, all these things, whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All the stuff that I had put confidence in, I have no more confidence in those things because I've met Christ Jesus. That's awesome. That's what it's about to be a follower of Jesus. He's referencing the things that he just mentioned and saying, everything I just mentioned, all those awesome things, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. And what he does is he makes this long list of those, those great accomplishments. And then he says, apart from Christ, they equal zero. Apart from Christ, a loss. What's a loss? Any of you financial people, a loss is bad. Like a loss. I consider all that good stuff a loss compared to Jesus. He says they're wasted. I consider it worthless. And what I want us to see in verses four through five is that this is a list of treasures of the wasted life. Treasures of the wasted life. Like we treasure these things, but in the end, they're all wasted. They're all wasted. And you can look at it here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of look through these real quick. Um, the first one was family heritage. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Family heritage. I, I, my family's, I got all the money. I got all this stuff. I'm just, a, I, I have a big name. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was full of Jewish heritage. In the Old Testament, it talked about him being from the tribe of Benjamin. Like, it meant he was the most significant tribe, and it was the only tribe that stayed faithful in the Old Testament to God. And it gave the nation of Israel its first king. Its first king was named Saul. And who was Paul given the name? Saul. He was named after that. So listen, the second thing, social status. First was family heritage. The second thing was social status. He was at the pinnacle of social status. He was the, he was the man. Like going back to that Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin thing, he had, they had the, the land closest to the temple. They were, they, were, they were the most wealthy tribe. And before meeting Jesus, Paul was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, in which well, that's basically a ruling class of the Jews. And they were leaders, which meant he was from a great family. And that family had to have a lot of money for him to be a part of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And so he had, he had family status. He had, he had social status. He had a lot of money. And the number three is he had biblical knowledge. Biblical knowledge. You're like, Michael, that's a pretty good thing. Biblical knowledge, right? You want, you want to know scripture. I want to, you want to memorize and know scripture. Biblical knowledge is a good thing. It says, in regard to the law of Pharisee, you know, we've got to be careful here when we read this because a Pharisee, we look at Pharisees as like, there's a bunch of hypocrites, right? They're, we look at the hip, they're hypocrites in, in, the, in the New Testament. You know, they crucified Jesus. And they did all this bad stuff. But listen, in their, in their day, they were looked at as people who loved the word. They knew the word. They practiced the word. They, they, they were looked at as someone who were great Christians. On the outside, they were awesome, right? But that's who Jesus came to say. On the inside, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs, man. It stinks in there. Number four is religious activity. As for zeal, he was persecuting the church. Number five is a moral lifestyle. And what I want you to see, this list of five things of the treasures of the wasted life is what you see, these five things, what do they have in common? Every single one of these five things are all good things. All of them. Biblical knowledge, social status, family heritage, moral lifestyle, right? All that's great stuff, right? So we have to see that it wasn't bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. It was not bad things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. It was good things that were keeping Paul from Jesus. And this is huge. We have to see this as we read scripture. There's so much gravity what Paul is saying. He's telling us that it's possible for you to love your family, 
to take your family to church, just like your parents took you to church, to have a good reputation, to have biblical knowledge, to know the word and to be able to teach the word and to be able to to be involved in a church, not just to be involved, but to be active and zealous in the church um, and to live a good moral life. And what he's saying is it's possible to have all these things and then come to the end of your life and it'd be written across the top of your life wasted. That's terrifying, right? That's scary for me as a pastor. Like all those things are great. But in your life, if you don't have Jesus, if you don't know Christ, wasted. That's what, it's, what he's saying here. And, I, and that's what I want to see is that that's what Paul's saying is, is like, if, if you're like me, we probably ask you, well, if those things are treasures of the wasted life, then what in life counts? Like what, what counts if those things are wasted? Well, I'm glad you asked. So Paul comes to the end of this list and, and you know, he comes to the end of this list and groups them all together. And he says, they're one big loss, one big fat zero compared to one thing. Compared to one thing. What was that? The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So we see the only thing, the only treasure of life that counts is Christ. The only treasure in life that counts is Christ. Verse seven and eight, you can look at those again later. These two verses, they're redundant. They say the same thing. They say, whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And he says almost the same exact thing in verse eight. He says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So whatever was my profit, I consider everything a loss. Then right in the middle of all of that, we see the difference is Jesus. Jesus is the difference Jesus Christ is the difference. And he repeats this over and over again, all the way down to verse 11. He says, I consider, I consider it all rubbish. I, I want to know his righteousness, the, the power of his resurrection to participate in his sufferings, to be like him in his death over and over again. Paul is saying that Christ is far greater than all of the good things in this world piled together. We wait. Are we good? Okay, listen, guys, this is really important this morning that you hear this. It all pales in comparison to Christ and his greatness. The only treasure that counts in this life is Christ. The only treasure that counts, according to Scripture, is Christ. And so let's step back and realize what Paul is teaching us here about what it means to be a Christ follower. Because I'm sure every single person in this room would say, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. Or I go to church. You know, all these things. But let's look what Scripture calls a Christ follower. To be a Christ follower, according to Philippians 3, it means we discover that Jesus Christ is a treasure, is a treasure chest of just full of treasure, of holy joy. And we take everything and everyone else in our lives and we write on the top out, loss without him. Without Christ, it's all a loss is what it's saying. And our most cherished family relationships, our most prized possessions, our our reputation, even the good things that religion says that we need to do, or our money, our morality, all of it, we write loss across the top of it when we compare it to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Right? That's what Scripture says. Paul even writes rubbish on it. And for all of you who are not British in here, rubbish is, um, is a funny term. It basically means garbage, and some of your other terms could mean dung. Um, the actual translation is a, is a curse word for dung, for poo-poo, okay? 
It's a curse word, okay? It's a, it's a bad word. It's, and some of the, trans, the later translations were scared to put it in the, in, the, in, the, in the modern manuscripts because we can't write that. That's bad. Paul was, he was serious right here. He's like, all of it is nothing. It's, it's crap compared to knowing Jesus. Don't miss the gravity of what Paul is saying because this is radically different than the type of Christianity that is being celebrated across our country on a weekly basis right now. It is. And what does it mean? You're like, what does it mean, Mike? What I'm saying is there's thousands and thousands of people who have gone to church this morning with their families thinking that their life was going to count because they took their family to church just so that their parents took them to church. There's, there's thousands and multitudes of people who are sitting in seats this morning in nice clothes and nice cars and parking lot and nice homes waiting on them when they get back, nice jobs and businesses who cannot fathom that that stuff doesn't matter, but it's all wasted apart from Christ. I'm convinced that there are, there are numerous and countless people who are preaching the word from the, the pulpit this morning and teaching the word during the group in small groups who think that that counts for something when it's a loss apart from Christ. Many people who are living highly moral lives, I'm a good person. I don't cuss that much. I don't drink. I don't do this. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't beat my wife. I don't do this or that. I'm a good guy. They're living a highly moral life who are good, decent people, and it's all wasted apart from Christ. And I'm convinced, based on the power and the authority of the Word of God, because I believe it's 100% true that there are people in churches this morning, maybe in here, who will be surprised and shocked to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for their lives. And, and the Lord will say, and no, we'll say to the Lord, just as Jesus predicted, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Or your name performed many miracles. Did we not drive out demons? Lord, did we not go to church? Did we not serve at church? Did we not give at church? Do we not live good lives? Do we not participate in church? Do we, do we not have a good reputation in our communities? Lord, I even knew the Bible, Lord. I read it every day and I taught it in my small group, my Sunday school classes. Did we not do these things? And it will be written across that life, wasted. It doesn't matter. Those are treasures of a wasted life. And these treasures, this is what I need you to hear. So if you've not heard anything this morning, hear this. These treasures are subtle deceptions from Satan. Because he wants you to think because you do these things, you're saved. That's not what, that's not what Scripture says. Satan wants to deceive you. He wants to, he wants to mask your true spiritual con condition. Like, where are you at spiritually this morning? Is it masked by, by the do's or by the, I do this or I do this? Where's it at? The question I want to ask every single person in this room this morning, regardless of your age or whether you're, 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 you're on staff here or you're a member here or you're a guest here for the first time, welcome. Whether you sing on stage or whether you're serving kids or whether you're a, a connect group leader or you attend the connect group, whether this is the first time in a church service or whether you're in church every Sunday, get through all the rubbish, get through all the crap. The question is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Get through the rubbish, get through the crap. Do you know Jesus Christ? Has he saved you? Do you know him? If you don't, let's do something about it. Don't let all the other thoughts come in when I ask you that. Well, I prayed a prayer. I signed a card. I, I did this. That doesn't matter. Those are responses to knowing Jesus. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? And is he the treasure around which everything else in your life revolves? Does everything in your life revolve around him so that everything else in your world pales in comparison to him? Listen, that is biblical Christianity. 
That is biblical Christianity. And we have to see that this morning. That's the heart of a Christ follower. Do you know him? Somewhere along the way, we've forgotten, and I am convinced that it's one of the most effective attacks, employees of the enemy, strategies of the enemy. He likes to numb us. He numbs us and lulls us to sleep with the things we're doing, with pleasures of the world, with good things around us, the church, the, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to call, I'm, going, I'm doing all this stuff, and he blinds us from seeing this question, and we've forgotten that in Christ, we've found something worth losing everything for. We have found something in Jesus worth losing everything for. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46 says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, listen to this, please. In his joy, he went and sold all he had. It was his joy to sell everything he had to get the treasure that he found in that field because it was worth more than everything he had. That's beautiful. And he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And isn't this the cry that I look at in Scripture? Every time you read Scripture, this is the cry. Job 19, I've been looking a lot in Job and in Exodus and different places. I looked at Job and Moses this week. In Job 19, 25, I'm not sure if you know about Job, but Job lost everything. Job lost his family. He lost his material possessions. He lost his farm. He lost his animals. He lost his sons. His, he lost his grandchildren, his kids, all these different things. He lost it all. One thing he was left with was a nagging wife who was telling him, you should die. Just go ahead and curse God and die. Just go ahead and just, why are you, why are you even worshiping him? But what's, what does Job say in chapter 19, verse 25? He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand for me. I can lose all things, but in the end, Jesus is gonna stand for me because I lived for him, a life that counted. In Exodus says, Moses led the Israelites in much disgrace to himself. To much disgrace to himself. That means he didn't have any regard for himself. Because he could have, he could have had all the treasures in Egypt, right? He was the, he was the prince. I mean, he was the man. He could have had it all. In Hebrews 11, let's look at that. Verses 24 through 27. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So many times we have our feet and our eyes trained down on our feet as we walk. What's next? What's next? What's next? Lift your eyes up to see Jesus and where he's leading you. Look up, look up by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. How's that? It's awesome, guys. I read this and I'm like, Paul, Moses, Job, Michael, no, Michael don't fit in there. Nope. I'm not, I'm not there yet spiritually. I'll be honest with you. I'm not there yet. These guys were spiritual giants, but you can go look. Um, there's, a, there's a guy in Philippians chapter two. Um, his name is Epaphroditus. And he's a no-namer in scripture. And basically what he does is Paul is writing in chapter two and he's saying, you know, you know Paul's writing from his, from his house of prison. He was in a house arrest in Rome. The Philippian church had, had sent Epaphroditus to go take care of Paul's needs and he sent resources with him and things like that. And they were, basically the Philippian church was being the church. And you look in Philippians 2, 25 and 26 and all those things. And it said that, um, uh, where's that? 
chapter 2. Uh, but, I th- but I think if it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and a fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, like him, circle like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. It says he risked his life. There's a word that's 16 letters in the Greek that I'm never going to try to pronounce because I couldn't even get it out of my mouth. But what it means, the word that was used for Epaphroditus, it means risk taker or gambler. And so sometimes in, in some of your commentaries, it'll, it'll call Epaphroditus God's gambler. That's what he calls it, risk taker. He was a risk taker. He risked it all for everything. He risked everything to go support Paul, to be a part of the mission of God. And guys, sometimes I'm not ignorant. Sometimes I know people in this room think the mission of God is to come to church. That's not the mission of God. The mission of God is to be sent out, to be sent out to the nations, to to, to, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, to bring glory to his name, starting here, moving out to the ends of the earth. And what Epaphroditus did, he decided to go and risk it all because he knew the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. He knew it. He saw it. He realized and he went that, th- that this actually wasn't, he saw that it wasn't actually a risk. I'm going to go. It's not really a risk at all because compared to the greatness of Jesus Christ, everything else is, not, is worth losing. It's not even a risk. You know, does this sound familiar? You can look at Philippians chapter one and Paul says to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you know, that probably made some of his captors pretty frustrated. I mean, try to, try to jail this guy. Well, you're gonna, I'm going to put you to death, Paul. Okay. I'm going to make you live in prison. Okay. I mean, it's whatever. I mean, whatever. I'm, I'm just here for Christ. I'm here to do his work. That's probably the most frustrating person in the world to jail. Right? It would be for me. And so we see all throughout history, people coming alive in Christ and taking risks for the kingdom. In the, in the third century, uh, in, in the city called Carthage in North Africa, there was a plague that broke out and thousands and thousands and thousands of people were dying. And there was a group of people called the risk takers, the gamblers. And they, they mimicked their ministry off of Epaphroditus' reckless endangerment to himself to see the glory of God revealed to the world. And they went into this place where these pagans wouldn't even take care of their family or their children because the, the plague was so contagious. But these people went in there and they were caring for these people over and over and over again. They were, they were, they were doing burial rites for people. They were doing these things and they were, some of them were getting the plague and dying, but they counted it all as lost for, for, for some of those people to meet Jesus before they died. That sounds crazy to some of you guys this morning, I know. But this is what it's like to follow Christ is to, to see him as, as the greatest treasure of, of all. To see the picture of the New Testament and like, to understand that I want to live a life that counts. And so I look at this, does that mean like if I lose it all and I do all this stuff and, you know, what does that look like? The, the kind of Christianity holds on to nothing and to no one in this world, only Jesus. That when it comes to choosing between something or, or Christ or someone in Christ, we always choose Christ. But it means, I, you know, I may lose someone or I may lose a possession or, you know, I, you know we choose Christ. 
We never lose our joy. We can lose our happiness. We never lose our joy. Why? Because Christ is our life. Colossians 3, verses 4, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you appear with him in glory, who is your life. Does that mean, and you're hearing me, I hope you don't hear me wrong. Does that mean we don't experience pain? No, we, didn't, we experience pain. We experience deep pain. We experience pain. We see Jesus experiencing pain when he lost his friend Lazarus. He cried. He was, he was, he was upset. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, understanding that when he's faced with the crucifixion, he, was, he, he experienced pain. But as long as I have Christ, I've got everything I need. And my question for you this morning as we close, is that the kind of life we're living in this room? Is this the kind of life that we're living in this room? Is this the kind of perspective that we have? Because far too long the church has read scripture and picked and choose the things that it wanted to read based off comfortability. It's time for us to read scripture for what it means and take steps and actions and walk out what scripture's saying. What does that mean for you individually? What is God calling you to? And as a church, I feel like God's calling us to do some great and mighty things. And I, I want to see us move in a way where we're, we're going out and reaching our community. And then moving on past there and reaching other communities with other churches. And then going past there and sending people from this house to foreign nations that don't know Jesus to live there. And we can support them. There may be somebody in this room. Like, where is God calling you? One thing I know is that this is a really hard church to come to and not be active really hard because I promise you, I will call us on the carpet as we move forward because I want us to be taking next steps together. Guys, we want to gain Christ. We want to know him completely. We want the world to see what a treasure, a lasting treasure of lasting value that Jesus is to us. We want him. That, that mindset is so much bigger than a Sunday morning service. That idea is so much bigger than a connect group. That idea is so much bigger than a coffee date. It starts with changing our heart. And the last thing I'm gonna read this morning is about a guy, is a, probably one of my, my favorite missionaries. His name's C.T. Studd. Awesome name, C.T. Studd. And what I love about this guy is that he risked it all for the sake of the gospel. One of, one of my favorite quotes he gave was, some wish to live within the sound of church bells, but I want to run a rescue mission within a yard from hell. That's hardcore. And this guy was a wealthy English athlete. He had lots of money. His father was wealthy. And when he came to faith in Christ and he realized the joy of Christ, he literally sold all his possessions and gave them away. After that, he said he thought he might be tempted by the enemy. He received an inheritance from his father. What did he do with that? He gave every penny of it away, not one penny to his name. And what he did, he went to China and became a, he began sharing the gospel with unreached people there. And after 10 years, um, he had a wife and four children. Later, he, he came back to England and began to prepare for his next mission. The next place he went was India. He went and tried to, to reach the unpeople, unreached people groups in the mountains of India with the gospel. And he came back when he was older, when it, was, when it was later in life, his, later on in life, he didn't store up treasures for retirement. He didn't count on his 401k and say, yep, I've done it. I've made enough to survive until retire on. What did he do? He left for Africa. 
He left for Africa. He said, this is the most unevangelized place in the world today, and I want to go and proclaim Christ. He risked his life and went to inland Africa. During the 13 years of his life that he was in Africa, this is, I'm not advocating this, but this is just crazy. He only saw his wife for one night. She was raising funds to, to support the ministry and his work there and to see the letters that they wrote back and forth to each other and the partnership and the gospel that they had with their husband and wife. It's amazing to see the picture of the gospel being played out in a way that nothing else mattered except seeing Christ glorified. And I'm not advocating spending 13 years away from your wife. I'm just saying the heart behind that is amazing. And you see the difference of the American dream of living 70 to 80 years and retiring and, and having four or five kids and having a car and two-car garage and just and blah, 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 blah. You know? And then living your life for everything, no matter what. God calls me to this. This is what I'm doing. And it may be to live this type of life. I'm, all I'm telling you today is to listen to Jesus and do what he says. That's all I'm saying. And at the end of C.T. Studd's life, this is what he said. The church was calling him crazy. You've risked too much. You've gone too far. You're crazy. This is what he said. And it's in old English a little bit, so be, just bear with me. He says, believing that further delay would be sinful, some of God's insignificance and nobodies, he's talking about himself, we have decided on certain simple lines according to the book of God to make a definite attempt to render the evangelization of the world an accomplished fact. That's awesome. Too long we have been waiting for one another to begin. The time for waiting is past. The hour of God is struck. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand. We will build on the bedrock sayings of Christ and the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should men say such as us fear? Before the whole world, before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby, yep, Christian world, we will dare to trust our God and we will venture our all for him. We will live and we will die for him and we will do it with joy, his unspeakable joy, singing aloud in our hearts. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than living trusting in man. And when we come to our position in heaven, we will realize that the battle is already won and the end of the glorious campaign is in sight because we will have the real holiness of God, not the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts. We'll have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Christ. And I don't want you this morning to hear anything other than when we come to the end of our life, and it is possible to come to the end of your life, preaching every week, leading, the end of my life, the preaching every week and, and leading a church and a family and being zealous for religion. And in the middle of it all, I missed the whole point. I don't want to come to the end of my life and realize I missed it. I want to come to the end of my life and see that all things have become lost compared to Christ and, becoming, and Christ has become my treasure. I want us to be a church and we could be a church that goes through the next 20 and 30 years and does a lot for the kingdom. I want, to see the, I want to see the lost come to Christ. I want to see unreached people groups come to Christ. I want our church to count for his glory throughout history. I want us to say we count everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of Jesus. So this morning, I, you know, it's late, but I want us to see that Christianity that costs us nothing produces the same. And so as we go, I hope we realize that it's better to, to lose our lives than to waste them. And for the kingdom, I hope that our hearts will become ignited with the passion that Jesus wants to use all of us. He wants to use the church. He wants to use this church. 
And so I want to give you some time. If you got to go, I'm going to pray. You can leave. Um, but if you want to stay and pray, please come do that. Well, we're going to, we're going to play some more and um, we'll, well, I'll be down here if you want to know. But listen, if you don't know Christ this morning, if this isn't the Jesus that you know, if this isn't how you've been following Jesus, come talk to me. I want to, I want to lead you to a place that will lead you straight to this person, okay? I love you. Let me pray for us. You guys can come pray or you can go if you need to go. Lord, we love you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving us. I thank you for um, dying for us. I thank you for giving your life for us so that we can give our lives for you. I pray, God, that we would just live our life every day, every day focused on the kingdom, focused on seeing your name lifted high, focused on seeing your name praised in this entire world. Lord, we just, we're so thankful. We're so honored to be able to call you Father. God, I pray for the person's heart in here right now, God, that doesn't know you. I pray that they would be glued to their chair, could not leave this room until they got that right this morning, God. I pray for the person that doesn't, is, is far from you, God. I pray that they would not leave this room until they got that right this morning, God. I pray this altar will be a place of a, of, a, of a garbage can where we lay things down and throw things away that aren't honoring to you, Father. And I pray that your name is glorified through this fast we're about to enter in, God. We love you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory because you're the only one that deserves it. And I ask all this in Jesus' name.